Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling in local retail, farmers markets, or co-ops, and you want to expand your retail distribution, then you should look into Ready for Retail, the course designed to get you there faster and cheaper. Distributors, co-packers, what do you need to know to grow? More details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Learn and grow at kitchentoshelf.com. I'm Steve Clear, and uh, I'm very excited to have with me today as my guest, Hamer Reddy. And uh, Hamer Reddy, in case you are not, have not been on LinkedIn and following us for a while, uh, she is the founder and the CEO of Crafty Counter, a consumer packaged foods brand dedicated to making taste-forward, nutritious, and convenient foods for flexitarian families that want to put more vegetables in their diet. Their signature product is Wonder Nuggets, and that's driving innovation in the frozen nuggets category via their chicken-based and lentil-based nuggets. Prior to CPG Entrepreneurial Ventures, Hemma was the Program Director for Worldwide Systems Marketing at IBM. She also produces and hosts the oldest-running CPG podcast in the industry called Food Startups Podcast, featuring experts and entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. She's spoken at conferences globally and occasionally volunteers time actually cooking teaching classes in the Austin culinary circuit. Hema has a bachelor's and master's degree in computer science, lives in Austin, Texas with her two young children and husband. Welcome to the podcast, Hema. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. Glad to be here. I'm I'm yeah really really happy because I've been following in your posts and in some of the podcasts um, of late and the whole Wonder Nuggets concept seems to me to be um, right spot on. I was actually discussing with some folks yesterday about you know the combination of of plant based and um, and meat based proteins and those types of products and stuff. So can you tell tell us a little bit about what Wonder Nuggets is for those who don't know and how you came up with the concept. Absolutely. I mean, as a founder, you never get tired of sharing your story. So (laughs) (laughs) absolutely happy to share that. Um, This really goes back about nine years, um, you know, when I had my first child and I realized that we were just not paying attention to what we're putting in our bellies. And it was just a moment of kind of awakening for me because I'd become a parent, right? It's, it's very different when, as you're growing it as a child, you uh, listen to some things your parents tell you and some things you don't. But a lot of things that you carry out with you are just fond memories. Like I had memories of how fanatic my dad was about eating vegetables and finishing your plate, you know, reasonably. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I would go with him, and I grew up in India, right? So we had uh, we didn't have supermarkets when I was growing up. They were there, but they didn't have produce in supermarkets. Right. So we would go to a specific store to get a specific kind of wheat grain because he was not happy with, with the flour that was sold in the stores. So he would get this wheat grain and get it ground in a mill, right? 
And then he would also tell me how to pick the right vegetables and, and fruits. And so, you know, I just grew up listening to the man talk about food and ingredients and the way you, um, you cook with them to make amazing and delicious food. And I, of course, grew up eating a lot of really amazing creations from my mom. And I also started kind of, you know, developing a love for food and uh, just cooking at an early age. I was the first of four sisters, right? And I right. had uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of responsibility on my shoulders to, to help my parents out. Um, so that, all of that kind of culminated into me venturing into the kitchen, being comfortable with trying different things and just appreciating good cuisine. And when I became a parent, I realized I wasn't doing the same for my family because my kid was a picky eater. He would eat nuggets. He would... He was very picky with the, he, was, he would only eat nuggets and then pizza. And he was just very particular about what he was eating. <laughs> he, was, he was a kid. <laughs> he was a kid, I know, in this country. So um, I, think it, I should say a, a kid, period. And most kids these days are kind of picky for whatever reasons. Um, and um, my husband and I were just, you know, we were just eating whatever, whenever, but we were not being careful. And, we really, and I realized that. As a last line of defense, you have a responsibility for not just your kids' health, your own health as well. You have to be healthy for them. So uh, it was this moment of awakening that I'm like, okay, I cannot use the reason that I've been traveling this whole week or I've been busy in conference calls that I don't have a good meal. We need to do better. So that's when I looked at the supermarket. Said, okay, what can I buy that would satisfy the core essentials? It has to be tasty. It has to be texture-friendly. And the way I grew up, it was a variety of proteins, mostly plant-based. We ate meat only once a week. That was on Sundays. And uh, we ate a lot of vegetables, a lot of lentils. And um, so I just had to bring back my roots, my roots into my own family to today's day and age. And that's when I started making a lot of foods that tasted delicious, had a good amount of, you know, seasonings, all natural that you find in your pantry. But they solved a problem that most parents are dealing with, which is we don't have time to cook, especially if, younger, if you have younger toddlers. And uh, we don't want preservatives or junk in our food, no unnecessary sugars, not high in sodium. Just a well-balanced meal that you can just grab and go, you know, when you're picking your kids up from daycare or when you're just sitting down at the of the family and you don't have the energy in you to make a nice, you know, well-balanced meal. And uh, that's how a lot of these creations got born, to fulfill those needs. So I'd make pasta sauces, vegetables, and a lot of frozen foods. And that's when I really fell in love with frozen foods because they freeze well. Whatever can freeze well can be reheated, warmed up, and you've just saved the day. Right. Um, so Wonder Nuggets was really one of one such product, and it really changed my life. It solved a huge problem. And, of course, I got great, great feedback from my friends and family who would stop by and I'd tell them, I'd give them something to eat, and I'd tell them what's in it. And they were like, oh, my God, really? It tastes really good. And, um, you know, through many such foods, I solved my family's needs. And uh, so once I've had, uh, once I've had um, my own, you know, direct uh, sort of witnessing to seeing the transformation, seeing the outcomes and the relief it brought to my life, I knew that I had to take it above and beyond and bring it to the other families in America. And so... Um, you know, a few years ago, I uh, quit my position at IBM, and um, there were a few different product ideas that I had in mind, and I picked Wonder Nuggets because, of course, every family 
or most families' freezers have nuggets and every just one of those endearing things that you grew up with. Yes. Right? Of course, there is some kind of stigma associated with it, but my challenge was to remove that stigma, make it better for you, because no matter what you think of, seen, or heard, you still eat nuggets, you know? So I'm like, okay, we need to make them better for you. We need to make sure that it has a variety of proteins and also bring something new that the country hasn't seen to yet, which is, you know, make some nice, delicious nuggets with the lentils as well. So that's why we went to market with a chicken-based skew. I like to call it chicken-based flexitarian skew because it combines chicken with some uh, plant-based sources of protein like chickpeas or quinoa and then vegetables. So if you right. eat one serving, you've got a little bit of everything. Um, and same thing with the lentils. They offer a great source of protein and dietary fiber and you combine them with veggies. And, you know, you've got a nice uh, plant-based meal as well. So that's really how Wonder Nuggets got born. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, you know, I was talking yesterday with these people, as I mentioned, in a group of us who are working in a, in a forum on actually up-and-coming startup foods. And we got talking about flexitarianism, and one of the... Uh, one of the folks said, well, you know, do you think this has legs or is it like the next kale or, or, or what are we talking about? And one of the other guys who has younger children says, uh, no, I don't think so. He goes, there's a burger place that, you know, we go to, we frequent, mm-hmm. and they have introduced a 30% mushroom hamburger. And that's what mm-hmm. he has his kids eat. He goes, so that's going to just keep going as far as he's concerned, you know, and also they prefer it to an actual 100% beef hamburger at this point, probably because there's better ingredients in it and mushrooms obviously are, are great. So, But I think that that idea of combining some amount of meat protein and plant protein together, um, you know, is really going to be a big section of, I think, our, our categories going forward. Absolutely. And it is a movement in the right direction. We all need to cut down on the amount of uh, meat consumption um, and at the same time, increase the amount of vegetables intake, right? I mean, the, only 3% of the country right. is vegan as, to, as such. Most of this demand is, is driven by consumers that want to eat better, that they want to um, do better for the environment as well. Um, and so this is it's not going away. Um, it's a step in the right direction. And I'm just glad to be doing our bit um, you know, towards this, uh, towards this changing trend yeah. in consumers, or this this newly um, adopted lifestyle in consumers. It's not really new. There's a nice flexitarian is a nice coined phrase that is being tossed around now. If you if you try to Google it, like two years ago, even <laughs> you'd be surprised. There's not much such traffic on it, and it's amazing. It's completely unprecedented that even a matter of two years, it's become mainstream. Not that, but Consumers and the retailers all, you know, uh, seeing that as an increasing consumer uh, preference that they are searching for, you know, hidden veggies and you know, in, in everything. So it's a it's a great um, turn in innovation, um, and it's a good time to be in business with launching products <laughs> that are in line with consumer habits. <laughs> right, and 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 of course they can also taste really great too, which is something that mm-hmm. not all stuff that was healthy for you a while ago was. So that's a, a step in the right direction as well. Um, anyway, so let's step back for a minute, to, to go back to IBM just for a second. And you decided to take obviously a big career shift. Um, what was one of your biggest challenges from moving to a fairly structured environment to, oh my goodness, I've got to find a commercial kitchen. What do I do now? 
Yeah, uh, back about three and a half years ago, there was very few resources too. It's not like there's a book written on CPG 101 as such, and that's good. That talks you through the various kinds of things that you get hit by, especially if you don't have a background in CPG. The biggest challenge for us was manufacturing um, because we had uh, plant-based products, right, as well as poultry-based products. Right. And so you could not just rent a commercial kitchen. Um, and I, right off the gate, consumer channel open as well. So from the first day that we uh, launched, I really wanted to make sure that these are available for anybody or everybody on e-commerce as well, which a lot of people told me not to. And I just knew that, you know, we have to have a direct dialogue with our consumers and have some insight into, into why they're buying our products Absolutely. and if they're going to come back for it. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so we could not rent a commercial kitchen. It had to be an establishment that was USDA regulated so we can sell our products across state lines. Um, I mean, for the listeners who are not from the meat space, you could get an FDA permit for, you know, animal-based products, but you cannot sell them across state lines. You need to have a USDA regulated establishment right. if you wanted to do business across or sell your products, you know, across state lines. So finding a manufacturer that could work with, uh, with us at a small volume, right, was, was extremely challenging. And luckily for us, we did find a local uh, co-packer that had the equipment that allowed us to um, test our products, launch our products, fine-tune it, you know, kind of tweak it. We, it's a process, right? It never You never crack it on the first go, um, which we actually pretty close to, <laughs> which we were pretty close to how we wanted the product to be. But it was the supply chain and, and a lot of different elements come into play. And and so um, that was the biggest challenge. Understanding the sales cycle of retailers, that was the other challenge that I you asked. would think that you've got a winning product and hey, you know, uh, people should just lay out the red carpet. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. And either. Right, we're not doing the category review this month. I'm I'm sorry, you have to come back, you know, when we're doing it. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> but one of the things, uh, Hema, interesting is... Um, with frozen, so with Wonder Nuggets, there are still chains who, where you could sell that into the meat department as opposed to the frozen department, right? Yeah, and so that's a great question, Stephen. Um, and this is something that that we're still cracking in because um, you're right. Sometimes it could be meat department, um, but they're all frozen, frozen as as a blanket category. But right. within the frozen. Some people call it uh, the meat department, but they're really looking at prepared foods. Um, for some right. retailers, meat department means you know the chicken stuff that you sell in and um, film bags, and that's different. So, um, so a meat category review could mean different things based on the retailers. Um, and for us, we're having to present our items in the plant-based review and the and the, and the meat-based review as well. So it's been different with different retailers. With the local regional um, stores that we have at Central Market, all our items are placed together. So we're in the appetizers or frozen dinners section, right. uh, where the chicken products are sitting right along the vegan products. Ah, very good. So, yeah, that was another experience is that you never know how the store is merchandising and the way their buyers line up with the purchasing decisions is different. Retailer to retailer. Retailer, retailer. Yes. Yeah, I had done some work with a large um, 
Mexican food frozen company that had a history of being both in meat departments in some retailers and in and then in the the regular frozen section and when a couple of the retailers decided that no your product needs to go in regular frozen it was um very depressing on sales which was partly mm-hmm. be- because the the meat department in the few frozen doors that they have really have much more of an ability to promote whereas in the frozen food section it's pretty much pizza 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 so you know, it it was a different a different approach. They also have a little more pricing and promotional, um, usually pricing and promotional um, ability to move flexibility in dealing with products. Uh, whereas again, when you're in you know next to vegetables or you're in next to banquet and all the other frozen chicken stuff, it's it's harder to get a you know harder to get ahead up. But you already have a great story and you're already doing that, so that you know that should work out. Is is frozen any easier in terms of? I mean, you have a supply chain issue, but um, in terms of you know your your your, your products sell by date and and the fact that it is convenient, people can look at it and say, oh yes, this is frozen. I'm going to take it home because frozen seems to have come like a full circle. For a while, it was no, we don't want anything frozen. We want everything fresh. Now it's like, oh wow, this actually was fresh when it was frozen, and I can you know prepare it. So. Does that does that help as opposed to if you were making something that was, you know, actually fresh? Well, it all comes down to who is buying and who is making a difference yeah. in the the sales curve, right? Um, on the bottom line, and it's clearly um, the millennials that are really um, driving this trend. They know that they want flexibility. They know that they want anything available to them readily available right within a few minutes so they don't have the patience to go buy fresh food or make a meal i shouldn't say that um but they they do want to do their research but they also want to have taste texture convenience global flavors everything when they want it and the only way to satisfy that is through frozen right and so there is increasing uh you know awareness between you know multiple age groups that it's convenient and that's really making a difference in how retailers are seeing their categories. So the frozen shelves, for instance, are increasing um, year by year. New doors are being added. New space is being created because consumers are increasingly going to the frozen section because there's been so much innovation uh, lately. If you think about Amy's Organic, right? That's one of the initial brands that yep. really drove a lot of brand awareness and they really almost kind of were trailblazers in bringing traffic to the frozen shelves. And all my respect to them, to the brand and the amazing, uh, you know, penetration they've had. But they really opened up this whole uh, consumer mindset that, yeah, this is amazing. This is great. Tastes great. It's good quality. The nutrition is locked in, and I don't have to worry about throwing away a whole bag of veggies because I just couldn't get to them in time. Um, so, I, I, I believe that. Um, that uh, that frozen is here to continuously increase. Fresh and frozen has come back with a vengeance, almost <laughs> right. It went away for a little bit, and there's a lot of traffic in the center right. shelf, and now on all around the aisles. And now a part of the center shelves, which is frozen, is seeing a lot more foot traffic these days with the with all the new brands making, doing a lot of driving a lot of innovation in the category. Yeah, it really has been been exciting and i think you know if if you look at um the tribes so the 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 gluten-free the paleo the keto 
um, and then the response of companies. So there have to be at least in just in frozen vegetables, there has to be 50 new SKUs of preparations of cauliflower, which, you know, which is great yeah. <laughs> because not everybody wants to go out and buy, you know, three or four heads of cauliflower for the week and figure out how to chop them up. And these, these preparations, mm-hmm. convenience, flavor, and yet, oh yeah, it's not, it, if I, if I'm on keto, it's not potato. I can, I can have this. And that's, and, and that response has been, you know, I think pretty, pretty amazing. So it's, it's, it's helping to drive that. And I think that will probably, probably continue. Um, have you thought about it? Well, I mean, to add to that, to add to that just point, it's going continuing from retailers into DTC as well. Like earlier, three years ago, when I was trying to look into logistics companies, 3PL companies for e-commerce frozen shipments, you couldn't find, it was very hard to find one. Now there's, we're talking to three different ones that do e-commerce DTC fulfillment for frozen items. Oh, yes. And I'm like, yep. oh my gosh. I mean, that is amazing. So, um, it is going to um, continuously, the traffic on um, frozen items are going to increase, not just in brick and mortar stores, but also online, which is, which is great. And anyway, so, you were asking. And so, and, but you're handling uh, your D2C uh, uh, through one of those providers. Is that how you're doing it? So far, we've been doing it in-house, but Excellent. we're in the process of switching it to other parties. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's really good. Well, yeah, because people talk about, you know, there's two challenges, I think, with that. One, frozen, obviously, is keeping it cold, which is a, a big one. Um, but on the other side, there's a number of, of really good products that are backing glass, which is also making a comeback, obviously, because of the plastic uh, situation. And they have a challenge, too, in the fact that it's heavy, and mm-hmm. it, it might break. So either got to keep it cold or it's heavy. But uh, I think those logistic challenges, obviously, you know, in the Amazons of the world and Thrives of the world or whatever are are, are dealing with those somehow. So it's it's yeah. okay. But uh, great that you tackled that and offered that. I think that's that's important, um, you know, rather than just saying, oh, my, I'm only going to send it out via, via a big truck, as it were. Um, <laughs> so do you, do you get out and do at this point still a lot of of demos and sampling and how how do you promote the how do you promote the brand at this point absolutely i mean nobody can tell the story uh, better and more efficiently effectively as you uh, the owner can so i am always constantly doing trying to to accommodate as many demos as i can possibly building relationship with the store managers uh, with the floor staff is uh, very critical. So um, we have done lots of demos. And if the stores do allow me to bring my son with me, I would take my kids <laughs> with me. Some of them have guidelines, you know, of not having a, yes. uh, your kids around a cooking area. But some stores have some flexibility too. So and when we do that, I can't tell you the sales are amazing because, you know, I don't have to sell it. The kids sell the product. <laughs> so they're getting some early training in that. And the customers just absolutely love that, uh, you know, seeing the whole family present the product and, and its benefits and whatnot. But, yeah, to answer your question, uh, we do a lot of demos. We also try and when we have a new account, work with the retailer because the introduction of a product is so key. I mean, we cannot think that but just because we've gotten shelf space that we will, um, will, will, the sales will come automatically. It is so important to promote the product, work with the retailer yes. in making sure that we're putting the customer, we're encouraging our customers to make the purchase, be it discounts, be it 
uh, other kinds of incentives, coupons, IRCs, store displays, whatever will work. It is so those first 90 days are so important to get off the shelf as fast as possible. So um, one mistake that I hear some of, some of the brands making is, you know, not investing sufficiently enough into those first few days where visibility and sales velocity is everything, um, both from a relationship building point of view with the retailer, but also for you from to make sure that you're performing well on the store. And, you know, this data is available, right, publicly, so in spins and so it's important that we you prove that your product indeed works and to gather as much data as possible um, on and continue to fine tune your products. Yeah, it's, it's it is critical and in in, in in you know in the in the old days you would have six months or a year where you put a product in um, the retailer would work with you, but now you know right they're looking at it from day one it hits the shelf as to how many turns you're making in this period whatever and 90 days is is as you mentioned really the critical period to to make it you know to make it stick you know they want to see that uh they want to see that movement but um you know you you've got a lot of the the right stuff going for it so it's 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 awesome um working with store manager so because because you have a product that is really innovative and kind of fun um, does that work better with the store managers that they really like to see something that's a little different out there as, you know, um, and, you know, and tastes good too? Um, absolutely. There's a lot of uh, curiosity. <laughs> so when we started doing demos, let's just say, for instance, Central Market here in Texas, um, what is Wonder Nuggets? That curious, that question would almost all, always come that, you know, tell me more. So the name itself picked a lot of interest, which was great. And so then we would go on and explaining, you know, that Wonder Nuggets would make you feel wonderful and the whole, uh, you know, n- nutritional and the taste forward uh, elements of uh, the product. But there, the naming plays a big role. Um, and if you don't have a, you know, super fun name, then how you tell the story plays a big role. But something's got to stick. So I'd always say that always think about like, what is it that is going to make an impression with the per- on the person that takes a bite and walks away. Uh, so we always try and find out some taste bites that will stick with them, and uh, we train our demo staff. You know, because I can't be there at all locations at the same time. So we have a really good demo staff, and we tell them exactly the few setting points in order based on the person that's walking to the table. So there's an onboarding and we have a, a standard operating procedure for every demo person that we onboard. Um, but yeah, store managers are also people that want an authentic original conversation with the person. They always love seeing the owners in the store, but if we train the demo staff really well to interact with them and, uh, and uh, share one or two tidbits that's gonna stick with them that will help them pitch it to the other customers because they are our sales force. We're not the sales force. Right, you can't be there. Yeah. (laughs) So um, it is very important. We have to educate them as to why it's not fake meat. Some people would think it's fake meat and we tell them, no, it's real chicken. Um, So, uh, you know, the vegan lunch is free of all top eight allergens. So we have to give them some sound bites that will stick so that they can tell the story when we're not there. But we did have to spend, you know, considerable amount of, you know, just um, attention to it. Uh, to make sure that we do the store briefing. Most stores will also have a briefing session with all their staff. So we made sure if that was not something that was communicated, then uh, we asked the other brands that, hey, well, how did you do it? And we t- you talked to five or six brands in the category and try to understand what they did and what worked for them. 
So one thing that's not talked about or written anywhere is that there is store briefing, there's onboarding sessions, and you can schedule one and get on their calendar so that the entire team, and the staff in the store understands your product. Um, so if somebody comes in looking, I want a vegan product, we want them to tell them. We want, it, want them to tell the customers that, hey, just try water nuggets. They're plant-based. You know, but they need to know how, who to sell, when to sell. And so the more we enable these stores, the better they perform. It help them help you, I think, is the, is the key right. to that, for sure. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I know you can't go into proprietary stuff, but what about other products in a similar vein? Anything coming down the line? Or are you looking at to different, you know, different products in, in frozen protein? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, with, without going into too much detail, we are looking at another meatless um, uh, product coming up in 2020 that I'm really quite ex- excited about. And um, there's R&D going on. Yeah, to to, uh, to make sure we're probably going to release that on um, e-commerce first. But so that's in the pipeline. We're also looking at two items in the breakfast category for 2021. And so, yeah, lots of good stuff coming down the pipe, but all with the intent of um, bringing something that is simple, clean ingredients, sustainable, not over-processed, and if possible, you know, right. bringing more vegetables into people's homes. Him, you mentioned you know how important the D two C component was, and 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 how do you um, how do you keep in communication and stuff with your tribe, and do you go through emails? Do you do surveys? How do you manage that? Yeah, it's a it's a great question again, Stephen. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that we have to respect their privacy and the fact that there's so much noise, there's so much uh, data going on, and in every possible social channel or digital channel these days. So the way we do it is um, we share like a mommy moment. <laughs> you know, um, we kind of Great. the list, yeah. <laughs> Which is not necessarily always to do with the food or the product, um, but we just share like a funny mommy, mommy moment. And there's nothing else about the product at all um, in that email. And sometimes we would talk, we share a few simple recipes, but that ties in directly with like the time of the day. So a lot of times you may have these wonderful recipes, but really if I'm living hashtag mom life, there's only certain times that I can make certain dishes. <laughs> Most times I'm yes. only stressed for time and something has to be like 10 minutes. So just some quick and easy to put something quick together. We try and, uh, you know, share those recipes. And oftentimes they go great with uh, Wonder Nuggets. Um, We do surveys, but we make sure that it's not more than four to five questions long. and Definitely not more than one page. Um, And uh, we ask why they bought the product. So that's one question that we always, always ask. Why did you buy it? And so that has given us a lot of insight as to what exactly, what specific pain point are we solving for the customer? Right. And then, of course, the next most important question is what else would you like to see? Right. So tell us about today. Tell us about what we should do tomorrow. Um, so two important questions. And, um, of course, we also segment the list because not all customers are parents. Uh, that buy from us today. A lot of people are just couples uh, without kids that want a snack that is clean and healthy and tasty. So, um, you know, for them, we ask them, how are you, you know, using them in your in your diet, in your lifestyle? 
So just asking the way that they incorporate it. And because all that data comes in very, very handy for us for our future innovation. So if we did not know that we had customers that are buying them that don't have kids, we wouldn't come up with a spicy skew. Right, exactly. We don't need extra savory if this is going to be fed to children primarily. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it, and if we didn't do a survey, we wouldn't know that. And so, you know, our, our Sabine was instantly popular. Um, you know, there's a following for the cayenne chicken already. <laughs> so, you know, it's been very helpful to us to have that direct dialogue with our customers. And the other thing too, I was thinking about Hema is is also do you do you find that children and and maybe up to teens we're talking about now are also you were talking picky, but also they're a little more aware, aren't they, of 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 food because it's talked about so much now, and it's you know that they themselves may have an opinion about well, I don't want to have you know meat based diet or I want to try this or whatever. You go. You're 12 years old. What are, you, what are you talking about? But do you find that that they're more aware of food in general? I was blown away. I did not expect that. So I'll give you an example exactly to your point. Um, we, uh, one of the interns that I hired, right, um, out of college yep. here, at local community college, and he has a he has a roommate. And so this one time he came to pick him up. And um, she came in to say hello, and we were talking. And she was like, I love your plant-based nuggets. And I'm like, well, tell me more. And she's like, well, I can't find anything that is free of corn on soy. Everything has got wheat and gluten. And I have been vegan since I was 10 years old. Right. <laughs> 10. And 10. I'm like, how do you even know? Like, when I was 10, I could barely... <laughs> You know, do algebra. <laughs> you yeah. know, forget about my eating habits. Um, I and I was just shocked. I'm like, are you sure? You said ten? Like, what did you even know? Why did you go vegan when you were ten years old? And uh, she shared with me that she just read some things about you know animals and you know environment and how it's impacting. And she didn't care. She just came across a, a report or, or just an article and that she read, and it made her think. And she. Um, started eating more and more um, plant-based foods and she was 100% vegan before she was 12 years old. So that whole awareness phase started at 10 years old. By 12, she was completely vegan and she hasn't eaten any animal protein since then. And of course, now she's graduated from college and everything. But, and she said, it's not her. You know, she, of course, you know, she's not the only one, but she was like, yeah, my friends, I've got, you know, plenty of friends that, are like that. Of course, it did not all start at twelve. But she said that yeah, we are always looking for such options. So we love this, these, these, you know, products like these. And I was, I thought she was just kidding to make an impression, but she was honest. She was. That's what's that. happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's. I think that's more prevalent now. And then on the other side, adults. I think in terms of dieting and stuff, it used to be if you said the word diet, it was about either allergies or losing weight. So that was the two things. Now I think we're talking more about diets as to how it generally makes you feel. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about diets for mental clarity, for uh, anti-inflammatory, for a whole bunch of good things that even if you didn't lose another pound, uh, you, you might feel better. So it's almost a food is medicine kind of thing now, you know, coming coming along as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, and for all the good reasons. I mean, be it, I mean, if, and if you are a 
meat eater just going to more sustainable sources of meat and you know not not necessarily saying that all meat is bad but just going back to say grass-fed beef or you know um um free-range chicken like all of these practices that are coming from um farming standards point of view and you know the discussion around regenerative agriculture yes. um, and the consumer awareness about you know just like what you said I think all the positive changes coming in and uh, it's just a good time to be in food business and a good time to and be being in... a part of that movement. Yes. And to be in the business. Um, we've talked yeah. a lot about wonder nuggets, but we also want to let everybody know that uh, you have the website, which is www.craftycounter.com. Mm-hmm. So it's crafty as in I'm crafty and counter as in the kitchen counter. Um, there and, you go. <laughs> and is is that and that's where they go if they if they uh, want to purchase directly from you? Yes, that's right. It's craftycounter.com, and we're all about getting crafty on what's uh, on your kitchen counter. <laughs> that's where the name came from. And we're going to have more products that may not have wonder in them. So that's why this is the umbrella company that's going to spin off multiple products in the portfolio. So the, yeah, craftycounter.com. Awesome. Okay, so I, question I have is: Are wonder nuggets better? With ketchup or with mustard? Or none Neither. at all? Neither. They're yeah. neither. Um, the idea is to drop the ketchup completely. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. That is a win. And, you know, that's what makes me most happy when we serve them. Kids don't lie, right? They're going to spit it out, and they're not going to think twice about your feelings if they don't like it. Um, so to see the kids eating them and not asking for ketchup, <laughs> it's amazing. They eat it, and they don't miss ketchup. And so that's when we're like, okay, we're doing a service <laughs> to the community. Absolutely. Presenting these. I, in fairness, I should have mentioned barbecue sauce too, which I didn't. But you're, but it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. If they can if they can eat I, it naked, that's yeah. the way it should you know should be consumed for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, real quick, I also want to talk to you just for a quick a second about your podcast. And so have, have you had fun with the podcast and have you like, like I've been doing learned like just amazing stuff from people? No doubt about it. Um, you develop yourself as, um, an interviewer. Um, and the first one that I ever did, I was like, you know, shoot, you know, where do I start? How do you ask these questions? Um, it's different when you're doing a live interview on stage or you're, you're presenting in a crowd. You derive from the energy of the crowd. Every single eye movement, eye contact uh, gives yes. you this energy to go on. It's different when you're speaking into a mic or a camera without an audience. It's a totally different ballgame. Um, so being natural, you know, with the guest and connecting with the guest when you can't even see the guest, because we don't have the kind of funding to go travel to, to you know, to meet our guests, right? So it's most times always on the phone. And um, just establishing that connection and uh, and doing the interview in a meaningful way, producing valuable content has been a growth process. And that's the best part about doing the podcast is to connect with these entrepreneurs that have some amazing journeys and um, establish a relationship and also grow, add another skill set to your portfolio. I always wanted to, you know, talk to successful entrepreneurs. I mean, what's not, what's not to, that's the that's, that's best part about being a, an entrepreneur is, is you get to connect with others and learn from such smart minds around you. And what better way to do that, uh, you know, other than a podcast. Right. It's, it, 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 
brings up a connection that I think is very hard to get any other way. And mm-hmm. I, I actually have, when I started, I, I worked with a couple of, of people that I had worked with in, in my agency business. And first of all, I learned things about them that I never knew, even though I'd worked f- with them for quite a while, which was fun. So they open up about some things, you know, back in, in, in their careers. And the other one was, as I got a note who said, from one of my podcast guests who had listened to another one. And he said, and I was taking notes the whole time and I'm going, wow, that's great. I mean, it's not that he needs to take notes because he doesn't, but he does because he's actually getting something of value and knowledge from another, from a fellow entrepreneur, a fellow founder. And that's mm-hmm. why, that's why you're here. Cause you're a fellow founder. So <laughs> <laughs> um, it, to, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying, no, thank you. I'm grateful for, for being on this podcast and your time with me. Um, since we aim, obviously, at, at people like yourself, um, mainly entrepreneurs and whatever, is there, um, we ask usually, is there one word or one particular topic that you would want to share with, you know, fellow founders, um, you know, from your experience that you would say, hey, you know, if you're going to stick at this, let's talk about X or I believe in X or something that you can, you can pass along? Um, so one thing of learning that has been my experience is a business is a sum total of various elements, uh, strategy, some amount of marketing, brand positioning, you know, sales, supply chain, production, all of that. And when you are a small team, it's very easy to over-dedicate some amount of time in one specific channel, and then the other channel hurts, the other vertical hurts. So um, I would really, really kind of push the founder to spend some time doing self-awareness project. I mean, some people are naturally self-aware of their skills and abilities. Right. Some people are not. They think one way, and they may. It's, you have to sit down consciously and put the draw those pillars on paper, and make a conscious effort of how much time am I I'm going to dedicate on brand building this week versus production versus you know supply chain, just the operational elements of it, and marketing, and write down you know what you enjoy doing the most, and do you have time to contribute to the all to all the rest as well. And regardless of whether you have the time, sometimes you're just the one person doing everything. Just be very careful about how much time you're dedicating to each vertical. I mean, there was a period of time in, you know, that I was so consumed with production that I did not spend enough time doing sales. And when I looked back into the past few months, I was like, oh, no, you know, I mean, we're still in the same set of accounts and I haven't really added any or, you know, tried to make a conscious effort on managing my brokers better. I just could not dedicate the time. Um, so it just takes it before you know a few months go by because sales cycles are long. It's a conscious effort week after week to dedicate some time to it. So that was one example where, you know, when there was a time when, you know, my core person had left to join another company, moved to a different city, and I just realized that I, I just let things slip. So uh, time management is so so important because otherwise your business takes a direct hit so that's really my number one thing is that if you've got time management if you're allocating your time equally um you know in the air in the order of importance to each pillar of your business you're going to be okay absolutely that is great advice ham i really really appreciate that and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today 
Uh, folks in the audience, you can try Wonder Nuggets by going to craftycounter.com. And I think you should, even if you want to put a barbecue sauce on them, that's okay. She won't, she won't know. Um, but (laughs) exactly, but anyway, thanks so much again. And thanks everybody out there for joining us today on the next level brands podcast. Our podcast was brought to you by kitchen to shelf, the educational arm of next level brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth, whether you're an early stage startup, a local growing business, or if you want to expand distribution to a national level, kitchen to shelf can help you learn what you need to grow. That's kitchen2shelf.com, kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. This is Steve Clear. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.